0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. For more info about grace, please go to www.graceorange.org. And now, join us as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Okay, good morning everybody. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be digging into Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and this deals not just with the main idea of Romans, but really the main idea of the whole Bible. So This is very big. This is very important. Uh, the righteousness of God is revealed, and what we'll see today is that the gospel reveals God's righteousness by which he carries believers from start to finish. So if you're able, please stand with me. I'm going to read two verses today. Romans 1, 16 and 17, we will primarily look at verse 17 today. This is the word of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Lord, by your spirit, I pray you would have your way in our hearts. You would teach us. Lord, that you would be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So here we are. People who are struggling every day with sin and its effects, and we're going to see a passage of scripture today that asks and answers the question, really, why is the good news, the gospel, God's power to rescue all who believe? And the answer is found in verse 17, because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, and it's a righteousness by faith from first to last. Now, you might notice there's a word I don't use very often when I preach. I don't think I've ever used it. This will be the first time ever. Um, I rebel against that whole, hey, let's unpack this verse thing. And I want to come up with my own term, right? You know, I just don't want to use it. And part of it is I feel like it's, it's presuming too much. Um, we don't, I don't think we need to unpack this verse. I think we need to trust the Spirit of God to unfurl its riches to us in all its glorious splendor. That's what I think. And I will attempt to explain it, and I will do so imperfectly. But only the Holy Spirit can perfectly illumine the word to us. And so I just want to make that very clear as we start, that we're trusting the Holy Spirit to to really unearth precious truths as we take what I would call an up-close-and-personal look at verse 17. What we're going to see is, we're going to see what it means that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. We're also going to see what difference does it make in our lives. What what difference does it make for those of us that are are living lives with with peaks and pits, with joys and sorrows, and even with obedience and disobedience? And really what I want you to go away with today, I, I want you to walk out of here today really thinking that I'm going to walk around with a transformed view of everything. Because if you grasp this verse the way it should be grasped, you will, by God's Spirit, have a transformed view of everything. I'm going to do a little bit of review here, and it's because if you've been with us for the entire series, you need the review. I need the review. If you're brand new at Grace, this will help you see where we've been already but romans chapter one sets the stage for everything else that follows the theme of romans is right here in this verse that we're looking at today god's righteousness revealed in the gospel received through faith in christ right standing credited to all in christ by the god who is always right this is a glorious truth that god justifies guilty sinners through faith in Christ alone, based on his character and the mighty work of Christ at the cross. Now, this is why we can believe the gospel. This is why we can uh, rest in the gospel. This is why we can rejoice in the gospel. And This is why we can live the gospel. Romans was written by Paul, who was a servant of Christ, called as an apostle to all the nations, uh, set apart for the gospel And he writes regarding Jesus Christ, who was declared God's son in power by the resurrection from the dead, and who is Lord over all. That's a fact that every human has to reckon with. And Jesus shapes the believer's identity. That you are, if you're a Christian, you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You are loved by God. You are being made holy. And you are a recipient of God's grace and God's peace. Now Paul, if you know the story about Paul, he was dramatically saved on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to arrest Christians. He was diametrically opposed to Jesus, but Jesus dramatically saved him. And and then he grew as a believer. And at one point, he catches wind of the Romans and their solid faith, this church in Rome, and he writes to them as the Holy Spirit inspired these words. And he says to them, I want to see you. I long to see you. And I want to serve you. I want to serve you. And he says in verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also in Rome. He wants to preach the gospel to believers and to unbelievers. You'll notice a focus shift in verse 16 from Paul's ministry uh, to the gospel 100%. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so from here on out in Romans, laser beam on God's purposes in the gospel. Paul is uh, giving reasons here. We're in the midst of this. He's giving reasons why he is not ashamed of nor offended by nor, nor stingy with the gospel some of the reasons he's given he has a gospel it's good news and it deals with salvation it's god's all-sufficient message it's powerful it's effective it's not a policy statement we will write policy statements we will write you know this is how we're gonna operate this is how we want to operate and all that and, what we want to do this is not a policy statement it's it does something the gospel does something the bible tells us that by the word of god we are born again by the word of god we are saved um and and then and then paul brings out the fact that this gospel is for everyone it's for all people first to the jews chronologically and then to everyone which is good news for us and, and the idea that he's bringing out here is that no one is outside the gospel's scope. And then you get to verse 17, and you see another reason that Paul is giving why he is not ashamed of the gospel. And it's the big idea of this verse. It's the big idea of the whole Bible. The gospel reveals God's righteousness by which he carries believers from start to finish. It reveals the non-shameful, beautiful thing. It displays how God can be just and justify wicked people. He's going to answer this question in chapter 3, verse 26. That God is just and, at the same time, the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. And God doesn't ignore sin. He's not justifying guilty sinners and just letting them in and winking at their sin. He punished sin At the cross on Christ, he passed over sins, and the question comes, how can he do this? How can he do this and still be just? And the reason why, you see it right here in this verse, is because God is 100% right all the time. He's righteous. He is the standard. He is the plumb line. He is the yardstick. Remember yardsticks? When I was growing up, everyone had a yardstick. Who's got a yardstick at their house right now? I've got one. I got mine at a garage sale. God is the the yardstick by which everything is measured. And so in verse 17, we see this, that the gospel reveals God's righteousness. Reveals God's righteousness. Verse 17 begins with the word for, just like in verse 16. Introduced by this particle, for, uh, it's like this. Paul's chain of reasoning is continuing. It's continuing. He is eager to preach the gospel to those in Rome because, for, he's not ashamed of the gospel. Because, for, it's God's power for salvation. Not because it, you know, contains some code of ethics. But because, verse 17, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And we need to look at this phrase, the righteousness of God. This phrase is used eight times in Romans. It's also used in 2 Corinthians 5.21 in the New Testament. Uh, You see the word righteousness all the time, uh, a lot, in the New Testament. It's it's used 35 plus times in Romans. But we want to focus on that phrase, the righteousness of God. So what does it mean? What is that signifying? Now... The first option is it could refer to God's righteous character, that he is perfectly holy and good, and so it's referring to his perfect holiness, and I don't believe this is what Paul is referring to here. It's based on his perfect holiness, but I don't believe he is referring to God's perfect holiness. And one writer said this, if it were only a a revelation of God's holiness, it would be the most terrifying and alarming thing ever. If it was only about God's holiness, we would be in big trouble. Now, another option is it could refer to God's righteousness in fulfilling his promises, that he keeps his promises, that he is completely faithful to everything he says he will do. And we know that is true about him, but I don't believe that's what Paul is talking about either. Think of the word righteousness. It is a positional word which means to be right, uh, to have good or right standing, the idea is to have no debts. Anyone here with no debt? <laughs> Many of us are like, wow, that would be awesome that day when we are you know, debt free. Well, the idea of righteousness, this positional word, is that you have good standing, right standing, no debt. You are acceptable and, and it's all good. <laughs> you're clear, you're, you're clean. Now when you put that phrase together, a righteous, the righteousness of God... I believe you need to understand this legally, uh, forensically, legal forensic declaration. That is a declaration that God makes that gives you an instantaneous status change before God. That God's righteousness here is a gift of his grace. I believe that is the meaning here. That Paul is speaking of righteousness from God. That God's rightness in action toward mankind results in the, the object of his action becoming in right relationship to him. And I believe that Romans 5.17 gives us a clue into that. Go there with me, five, Romans 5.17. It says, if because one of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, Adam. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. That this the righteousness of God here is a gift from God to those he saves. To possess the righteousness of God is to possess a righteousness that God provides. It is not done by you. It is done for you. It is this imputation of righteousness where he credits righteousness to your account. And the reason he can do so is because a mediator, the Lord Jesus, has suffered to satisfy God's justice. William Cunningham put it this way, the righteousness of God is that righteousness which his righteousness requires him to require. I'm going to say that again. I've had to do it all three services. Yes, I I need to read it a bunch of times to get that. The righteousness of God is that righteousness which his righteousness requires him to require. This is what we're talking about when we say the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Of God is that righteousness which his righteousness requires him to require. Now, Martin Luther figured this out. Uh, God opened his eyes to this truth in 1514. He used to hate the phrase, the righteousness of God. He hated God for the phrase, the righteousness of God. And he always thought it was all about condemnation, all based on God's holy, righteous character with no hope of salvation. But what he realized is that it's related to our deliverance in Christ, not our condemnation in sin. And here's what Luther said. He said this later in his life, speaking about, about uh, when, he, when he came to faith in Christ and understood uh, these terms. He said, as violently as I had formerly hated the expression, the righteousness of God, I was now as violently compelled to embrace the new conception of grace. And for me, it, it literally opened the gates of paradise. Paul says in verse 17 there, in it, the power of God to save, in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God, his rightness in saving lost sinners, is revealed. Now we've got to think about that word revealed. What does that mean? It reveals how the gospel is the power of God for salvation. We're going to need to take some time on this one. Uh, It means it's made manifest. It means it's made clear. It's referring to something known in the past but made very clear now, it's not referring to something revealed for the very first time. For example, have you ever see any of those old game shows where they'd have like door number one, door number two, door number three, or curtain number one, two, and three, and they would you know reveal what was back there, um, something you'd never seen before, but that you were going to hopefully win, right? This is not that. Okay, this has been manifested. But Romans three twenty four tells us it was manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So this this good news, the law and the prophets spoke of, it was witnessed beforehand, but it's now been made manifest. What does that mean? It's been revealed. Okay, another clue in Romans 4. It was known in the days of Abraham. It was God's way of justifying Abraham. In fact, Jesus himself said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Not clearly, but he saw it and rejoiced in it. It's kind of like the very end of the letter to the Romans, in Romans 16, 25, and 26. To him who is able to establish you, and and he's speaking of this mystery uh, that was kept secret, but now is manifested by the scriptures, made known to all the nations for the obedience of faith. And he's speaking of something that was known before, but not very clearly. Like you're looking through a window with a lot of smudges, or maybe... Better yet, you're looking through a window with, like, tint on it, and you can't see in. You can see shapes, though. You've got to ask yourself the question, do I know when God started rescuing people by faith? God did not start rescuing people by faith when Jesus came to earth. It started all the way back with Abel. Hebrews eleven four. So whenever God rescued someone, it was 100% by grace through faith, and they received it that way. 100% by faith. There was 0% of their own merit. And by the way, when, when, when Paul says in it, in the gospel, God's righteousness is, be, is revealed, literally being revealed. It's the present continuous tense. It's an ongoing activity of God. So what he's saying is, this righteousness is revealed by God in the gospel. In all its saving glory. It's manifested. He's not saying, well, it was just seen. Not that it was just observed. He's saying, now, seen in the gospel is God's saving power in all its saving glory. John Murray put it this way, it it is manifest in its saving efficacy, in its effects. It it is active in the sphere of humanity in saving sinners. And, and, And if you think about the outworking of this, every time the gospel is preached, God is shining a spotlight on his rescue work. It's like he's shining this a light from a lighthouse or a, or a searchlight on, on the gospel truth that he saves and rescues lost sinners. And so, when I said at the beginning, like this is not just the, the main part of Romans, this is the main, the main idea of the Bible. That the righteousness of God is the key to salvation. And those who have it, They know the power of God in personal salvation. They know they are right with God and they're humbled by it. But those who do not have it are lost and they're without hope. They're not right before God. Turn over with me to Romans chapter 3. We'll see this in greater detail as we keep going through Romans, but I want you to see Romans 3 verses 21 to 24. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. But There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. This is the righteousness of God being revealed. It's a gift of God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Someone might come up to you today or this week and, they, and let's say that they know you're a believer and they're not a believer and, and they say to you, they ask you, what about the gospel makes it so powerful and gives it this life-remaking quality? I've seen that your life has been changed. What is it about the gospel that does that? Your answer is, well, in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed as God reaches to rescue and give right standing to those who are lost. That that God reaches down to rescue and give me right standing. And he did that by his own righteousness and gave me his own righteousness. So this, this righteousness is revealed because it's been reckoned to those who believe. In that sovereign act of salvation, God's righteousness is revealed. That God's saving righteousness, as Isaiah 55 put it, is given freely without money and without price. It's like Job asking, how shall a man be just with God? How shall a person be right with God? And what we realize, to our joy, if we're a believer, to our horror... If we're not, is the business of the gospel is is God making people righteous, acceptable to him, able to stand in his presence on the day of judgment. It's the central purpose of the gospel. If you don't have it, you're not a Christian. And I mentioned that I want you to walk out of here today with a transformed view of everything let me point out. to point out a few things in this sermon. But the first is, if you think about God's revealed righteousness, it will give you a fuller understanding of the gospel. It will give you a clearer understanding of salvation. And believers need to understand the salvation we've been given. You got to understand how much more is promised than forgiveness. A lot of people will say, "Well, Jesus just died to forgive us." That's only half the gospel. That's only half of salvation. You know, many people think this. Well, Jesus just died to forgive us. Our sins were put on him at the cross. We are pardoned when we believe in him. End of story. That's not the end of the story. That's that's only half of salvation. If that were all that Jesus did, we we would receive this clean slate. We'd receive a fresh start. And then it would be up to us to, you know, power up, you know, get our, our, our account charged up, get, add credit and merit to our account. But we have, here's the other half, we've been given righteousness, not just being declared not guilty. This is very tough for those of us who, who grew up swimming in, in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the water of, you know, do it on your own and don't have help from anybody else. We have been given righteousness, not just being declared not guilty. So, so salvation, when you think about salvation in Christ, it's not just receiving a pardon and freedom like God says you're off of dead, death row and you're out of prison now. That's not all it is. If that were the case, again, we would be free, to go on our own and basically make our own life on our own. Rely on our own efforts. Here's what you find out in the Gospel. In the gospel, you discover that Jesus took you off death row and appointed you to a very high position. He didn't just take you off death row and say, now you better grovel from here on out. He took you off death row and appointed you to a very high position as if he put around your neck a Congressional Medal of Honor. And now you will be treated and welcomed as a hero who accomplished amazing deeds. And you're like, I didn't do any amazing deeds. All I did was sinful deeds. I don't deserve this. And then you you look to Jesus and realize, oh, that's right. This is all based on Jesus' amazing deeds, not mine. This is God's grace in action. Look again at verse 17. God's righteousness is revealed, and then probably the, one of the most confusing statements in all the Bible, from faith for faith. It's like a math problem, you know, we want to run away. It's like, faith from, from faith for faith? Or from faith to faith? What, what are we talking about here? Well, the gospel reveals God's righteousness by which he carries believers. This is the point we're going to be making here. This is the point that Paul is making. It's right standing is received through faith alone. You do not become righteous by faith and then keep it up through your own goodness. From faith to faith. John Stott put it this way, God's faithfulness to his promises and in the life and death of Jesus Christ always comes first. And ours is never other than a response. God's righteousness by faith is revealed through faith. The one who has faith in Christ sees it, accepts it gladly, and rejoices in it. You see the means of this righteousness. It's seen in the phrase from faith for faith. It is, here's how the simplest way to put it. It's from faith from first to last. He it carries us. you got the source of the faith. you got the goal of the, of the righteousness. God's righteousness comes to you by faith not works and it's all of God. And you have no other hope. You have no other hope than the gospel. Because you'll say this. If, you, if you're a believer, you'll say, I tried being good and my supposed good works couldn't deliver me because I was ruined by sin. Because good works will not deliver ruined people. S. Lewis Johnson said it this way. It was and is the good news of Christ's sacrificial work in blood and cross received by faith that liberates from sin for it alone is the power of God unto salvation. And then we, uh, we, we flip over to Hebrews eleven six 6. We find out that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Unless you have the gift of faith, unless you have faith, you can't please God. And what happens is there's a lot of people that run around without true faith. And what you get when people run around without true faith is false conversions. False conversions of believism but not faith. And the people are not concerned with holiness and righteousness. They take what they want but they don't know God. They have not been brought into the presence of God. They walk in unbelief, they walk in pride. Four words that ought to startle us and terrify us from the New Testament. Not all have faith. Not all have faith. Either you have it or you don't. You believe or you don't. People have false faith. I think about the early 1980s. I had very, a lot of desperate attempts to get faith apart from God. And, and they were all garbage. <laughs> they were all junk. And, and I knew it didn't work. And you know how I knew it didn't work? Because it didn't work. It didn't work. Some days it seemed to work. Other days it didn't work. It just didn't, it didn't work. They were deceptive lives from the pit of hell. And it leads to death. Because fake faith is anything rooted in anything other than the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. People will say, "Uh, this faith thing didn't work. You've heard people say that before. I've heard people say, I tried Jesus and he didn't work. And my response is, oh no, you didn't. You didn't. You don't try Jesus. You trust Jesus. You don't take a test drive on Jesus. You don't say, you know, Jesus, let's live together for a while until we wanna make the big commitment. No, what you do is you fully yield to God. It's a monergistic, God-centered view, not a humanistic, man-centered view. You look all around and you see that God's standard of righteousness is uh, literally being ignored by man. But God always evens the scales, and then some. God's standard of righteousness is ignored by man, but human standards of righteousness are ignored by God. What he says counts more. We have no righteousness. Our supposed goodness is like what? Filthy rags. We have nothing to commend us to God. But here's the good news. What mankind uh, does not have is available to all who acknowledge their sin and receive God's freely given righteousness. God delivers us in righteousness solely by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God is righteous. He's always right. He condemned our sin on Christ at the cross. Uh, We come to him by his gift of faith. And when we do that, he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us righteousness. He credits it to your account. Uh, You're no longer bankrupt spiritually. You're a debtor to grace. Uh, You possess all the riches of Christ. And thereby no works of yours, 100% God's work in Christ. But someone has said, untold millions walk our streets and sit in our churches unchanged by the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet... They are convinced of their salvation because one time in their life they raised a hand at an evangelistic campaign or repeated a prayer. Romans 10.3 talks about them. People who are ignorant of the righteousness of God, seeking to establish their own, they do not submit to God's righteousness. Righteousness means treating everything right as it should be treated. God, to be righteous, to be God, must treat everything as it should be treated, including himself. He must exalt himself over all because he is over all. If he did not exalt himself over all, he would not be righteous and would not be God. And God, who is over all, must treat us as we deserve to be treated. Which means his righteousness depends on him punishing us for our sins. He cannot wink at our sin. His righteousness is at stake. This is why a Christian's gonna say, I only have hope when God sees me covered by Christ's righteousness. Let me ask you, what is your hope today? What is your hope? Is it in your goodness? or your achievements, or your riches, or your education, or your friendships. One thing gives hope. God's gift of righteousness, right standing with God through faith in Christ. If you do not respond positively to this good news in faith, you will remain in your lost condition forever. That's why I say all the time, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You'll go from death to life, from darkness to light, from condemnation in your sin uh, to freedom from sin's power and penalty. You will enter into the glorious freedom of the children of God in Christ. I told you, um, it, it, this is going to transform your view of everything. Not just your view of salvation, but how about your view of sharing with people how they can be saved. Evangelism. This should affect our lives. Our, our witnessing, our unified witness, um, when you know, when you know that the, the gospel is how you receive God's righteousness, your attitude towards sharing the gospel turns around. You know what the opposite of being ashamed is? It's not being willing, by the way. Well, I'm willing if asked, I'm willing if called upon. Uh, no, the, 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 the opposite of being ashamed is eagerness. Paul says, I'm eager the gospel to you in Rome, you become eager when you know the truth and the glory and the wonder of the gospel so deeply that it changes your perspective, and you don't share the gospel because you're supposed to, it's because you want to. Like, if you don't want to share the gospel, you need to check if you're a believer or not. You've, you've got to say, you know what, I want to and love to because of Jesus. And, and you know what happens when you do that, when you then share the gospel? You don't hammer people with the gospel. You hand them the gospel. You just hand it to them. That's what Philippians 2.16 says, holding forth the word of life. Now, this does not mean that everyone is called to publicly preach the gospel to large groups of people. What this means is we should have a shared eagerness for the gospel to get out. That we should be eager, you should be eager for all to, to hear the gospel. That you would have clarity in your mind, that you would have fire in your heart for the gospel to be proclaimed. So that you support the preaching of the gospel. And you might be praying for the preaching of the gospel. You might be making meals for those who are preaching the gospel. You might be giving to the work of the gospel. You might be going yourself with the gospel. You might be preaching the gospel to whoever you Whoever you run into, in your home, your neighborhood, workplace, school, wherever you go. But you'll be doing something that you're eager to support the preaching of the gospel. Go back to verse 17 with me. We're not done with verse 17. We've got, we've got a lot more in verse 17. There's a phrase in verse 17... That we've got to not ignore. As it is written. It's that phrase, as it is written. It's in the perfect tense. It emphasizes the permanent authoritative nature of what was written. It's, it's binding. It's settled. The Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write. And as he's writing, he writes these words down. As it is written. And what he's pointing to is, is what the Old Testament said about this gospel truth. See, the gospel reveals God's righteousness by which he carries believers from start to finish. So we're now getting into that. It's, as it is written, and I love finding an example, uh, you know, an old example that sounds current. Uh, Augustine saw the Old Testament as a fully furnished but darkened room. And all the furniture is present, but only perceived in a shadow. It's like when you're walking through a dark room and you know things are there and you're about to stub your toe. But but what he said was that the gospel turns the light on so that we say, ah, okay, I see what God has been doing here and how he's been doing it. The New Testament writers, by the way, never make an Old Testament text contradict what it meant in the Old Testament. They bring out the intended meaning of the text and so he says it is written as it is written and then he quotes Habakkuk 2 4 the righteous shall live by faith I preached Habakkuk a while ago knowing that we were gonna uh, go through Romans Uh, to understand Romans you kinda need to go to Habakkuk a bit and in Habakkuk chapter 2 believers are waiting for the time when God's gonna fulfill his promises and, and believing God's promises, you find out in Habakkuk, what brings you into right relationship with God and keeps you in right relationship with God. And so, go back to the phrase right before that, revealed from faith for faith. Just think about that for a moment. I want to show how that really plays into this quote from Habakkuk. Paul uses, you go through Paul's writings, you go through when he says, from faith, he's pointing to the source or the origin of faith. Uh, faith is the origin or source by which salvation comes. Then the next part of the phrase, For faith or to faith shows direction of the movement. And so God's righteousness in his rightness in forgiving wicked people has been revealed, perfect tense, by the gospel. And the way that it's revealed is that salvation originates in and from faith and continues by faith. So what he's saying is there is no part in the life of anyone who is saved that salvation is not by faith. This this is an all by faith gospel and it vindicates God and his righteous because he is always right. And it fits the broader context of Habakkuk. Um, Habakkuk starts with a complaint to God that he is unjust to let evil go unpunished. You know, you look around the world and you think, how come God's not punishing all this evil going on? Of course, we look outside of ourselves, right? But God's answer pinnacles in this phrase from chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous shall live by faith. Paul quoted Habakkuk 2.4 in Galatians 3.1. He's proving it's not by the law that we're justified before God. The writer of Hebrews quotes Habakkuk 2.4 in Hebrews 10.38 to encourage believers to press on and not lose heart. Uh, The Hebrew word translated faith in Habakkuk 2.4 means steadfastness. It means faithfulness. And Habakkuk is is based on a firm belief in God and in his word. Here's Habakkuk crying out to God about the oppression that his people are, are going through late in the 7th century B.C. And God gives him an assurance that wickedness will not triumph forever. And righteousness would ultimately be vindicated. In fact, in Habakkuk 2.14, you see these words. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is a big promise. The righteous are going to endure to the end because God will endure them. He, He will carry them from start to finish. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, there's something I need to point out about that word live. F.F. Bruce points this out. He said for Paul, like many Jews, life or live, especially eternal life and salvation, were synonymous. So Paul designates himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews, which means he was most likely an Aramaic-speaking child of Aramaic-speaking parents, and he would likely then have spoken his his native tongue using the same word interchangeably for both life and salvation. There's a key here. What he's saying is, it is he who is righteous by faith that will live, therefore, it is he who is righteous by faith that will be saved. Because for Paul, when he thinks of salvation, he thinks of initial justification, being declared right with God, includes the process of sanctification, God making you more like Christ, God making you holy, and then it is consummated in final glory, uh, where When Jesus returns or calls you home, whichever comes first. So to possess the righteousness of God is to be saved. Paul sees in Habakkuk words uh, the central truth of the gospel. It is the one who is righteous, who is justified by faith that will live throughout all eternity. So what what this is saying is that that God reveals uh, his righteousness in justifying wicked people because it's all by faith. What Paul's gonna continue to do as we go through Romans is answer the question, why does a faith-alone gospel put God's righteousness on a dramatic display? And that will be summed up in chapter 3, verse 26. So let me give you another area of, of, of your life that ought to be transformed by these truths. God's righteousness is revealed by him reaching to rescue and giving right standing. That should affect just your daily life. Literally the way you go about your life. Uh, The trajectory of of your life as you walk by faith. Uh, That you would would think and say things like this. I want to please God. I want to please God. He loves me. He delivered Jesus for me. I I love God and I want to serve God. And here's the thing that blows us away. God, the righteous judge... Uses our sin tainted works for his right purposes. We should never be saying, Oh, I want to sin so that I get more grace. But he uses our sin tainted works for his right purposes. Because as we walk by faith, we're taking God at his word, the opposite of pride. And we are either going to wait for God to rescue us or think that we can rescue ourselves. Think about when we sin. We, We struggle with sin on a daily basis. When we sin, you know what we're doing? We're forgetting that we can't save ourselves. Uh, What about when you're bitter or resentful and you say, I'm going to withhold love from that person? You are forgetting that you're already saved by grace alone. Uh, What about it when you try to earn God's approval and when you you get out of balance and maybe you even overwork because you fear failure or, or you go into a tailspin when you fail? You're forgetting you can't earn righteousness. To God, you're already righteous. And the gospel will continue to offend our pride. The gospel reveals us as having needs that we cannot meet. And we start thinking we can meet our needs. And we need to remember that the power of God that reveals God's righteousness is the way we receive his righteousness. I like how Tim Keller puts it. He says, there's a way that we're not to live by faith. There's a way we're not to live by faith. He says, at the root of each of our sins and problems is unbelief and rejection of gospel truth. And it happens with immoral people and immoral people. Both reject the gospel, trying to be their own savior. He says, some proclaim faith in Christ, but say that they can do whatever they want, licentiousness. And their rebellion is really a refusal to believe the gospel. That message that they are so sinful that Jesus had to die for them. He says, some people pick up religion as a a moral thing and become anxious or proud. Anxious because they know they can't live up to the standards. Proud because they think they have lived up to the standards. But that pride or anxiety is really a refusal to believe the gospel. See, as a result of God's righteousness revealed in the gospel, in all its saving glory, we should be walking around with transformed views of everything. God's righteousness revealed is God reaching to rescue us, to give right standing. And I think what that should do, as I close, I just want to say this should drive us to pray in joy and in pain. On both sides of the coin whether or not you you get the job or lose the job, whether your teenager has the perfect driving record or whether your teenager cracks the car up, whether a child is born or a child dies, whether you can have kids or whether you're unable to have kids, whether your biggest hope is realized or your biggest hope is shattered whether you are fully healthy or whether you have a health issue that keeps you from the things you love. Whether your heart is overjoyed or whether your heart is is deeply burdened and torn apart, you live by faith. The the supreme display of your faith, the, the greatest display of your faith, is prayer in good and bad, where you declare your dependence on God for all things. Uh, where we don't just talk about this amazing reality, but we actually pray. We trust God to act according to his good pleasure, which I think is summarized very nicely in Hebrews twelve, two. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And, and, and as a result of God's righteousness revealed in the gospel, in all its saving glory, we, we should, by the grace of God, be walking around with transformed views of everything. It should transform our view of eternal life. It should transform our view of evangelism. It should transform our view of just walking by faith daily and of prayer. And let's pray. Lord God, thank you that your gospel reveals your righteousness by which you carry us from start to finish if our souls are are weary and troubled or our souls are light today i know that either way we need to look to jesus turn our eyes upon jesus knowing that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace and it's in christ's name that we pray amen